Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Conceptual thinking, it's the ability to analyze hypothetical situations and abstract concepts to compile insight. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, alongside Ron Price, co-author, along with Randy Lisk, of The Complete Leader, the book. Great to be with you, Ron. Thank you, Dale. It's good to be with you today. So uh, this is part two, the second part in a conversation about conceptual thinking, which is the ability to analyze hypothetical situations or abstract concepts and to compile insight. And in our first conversation, we, you gave us a, a great overview of conceptual thinking and, and a few key things that we can do to start building the skill. Uh, and for listeners who might be tuning in for the very first time, this is a podcast where we dive deep into the core competencies that are laid out in the Complete Leader, the book. Podcast definitely stands on its own, but it also really helps to illuminate those areas of the book and those core competencies. So why don't you give us a quick overview of what and summer, summary of what was discussed in our last podcast? Great. Thank you, Dale. Well, we talked about, we first broke conceptual thinking down into those two words. Thinking is that it's what's going on inside our mind that causes us to make decisions and to lead and guide the organizations that we serve. The conceptual part is it's the ability to understand at an abstract level what's going on underneath the surface, to get at the why, to understand cause and effect, and therefore, to be able to think creatively at a conceptual level about other options or ways you can improve things, ways that you could solve problems or pursue opportunities. And it really helps us when we practice our conceptual thinking skills to more accurately forecast long-term outcomes. So we really become more intentional in the work that we do. It helps us to identify the potential impacts of varying strategies that we might be considering. And it helps us to identify more options for achieving better results. Helps us to uncover not just the symptoms of a problem, but the cause of a problem. I often think of this stale when I go to a, a doctor and I may be having some kind of symptoms. I feel feel that I'm the expert of my symptoms. I hope the doctor respects that and asks me questions about my symptoms. But then I do not expect to be the expert about understanding why those symptoms are there or what I need to do to get rid of those symptoms. That's my doctor's job. And that's what I call conceptual thinking. It's diagnosing and prescribing. And yes, when I go to the doctor, it may be about helping me to get rid of a symptom, but it may also be because I want the doctor's advice about how I can be healthier, stronger, have more energy. So it's either fixing a problem or pursuing an opportunity. It begins with doing a good job of conceptual thinking. Why don't you just touch briefly on the, the concepts that you encouraged us to pursue to be to build the skill from that last session, just as a reminder for us, because they were those were fantastic ideas to grow conceptual thinking. Great. Be happy to do so. So we talked a little bit about how we use different concepts for how we structure organizations. And in today's world, there's no one right way to structure an organization. After World War II, the most popular method was what was called the military structure, which is hierarchical. It starts at the top and works its way down. But in more recent years, a lot of organizations have thought more in terms of a matrix organization where you may have a uh, what's called a, a 
straight line supervisor, but you have dotted lines where you're working with a lot of other people and helping them to accomplish what their goals and their projects are. So it's not a clear, simple military model anymore. It's become much more complex. And then there's the hub and spoke, another version where you have people all around a central leader. And um, we finally talked about what I think is an emerging structure for organizations that's gaining more and more popularity, and that is networks of teams. I didn't mention last time, but one of the reasons why I think networks of teams is becoming a very popular concept for how organizations function is because more and more people work for an organization without being an employee of the organization. As a matter of fact, in the United States today, it's over 30% of all people are not an actual employee of the organization that they work for. They're an outside consultant. They're a freelancer. It's what's now being called the gig economy, where people come in to do a gig. Well, when that happens, uh, because so much work is done as a team, oftentimes these teams move around inside an organization. And that team may be made up of some employees, some non-employees, but they've learned how to work well together. So when they're given an assignment, they function, they execute much more effectively than the old model, the old concept. So this is a great way of using conceptual thinking to think about how an organization is structured. The other example we talked about last time is looking at the results that an organization gets. And I won't go through the whole concept that we use here. It comes from Peter Senge's book, The Fifth Discipline, but it's basically study the results and then ask yourself what behaviors created those results and what systems create those behaviors and what beliefs or assumptions did we have when we created those systems. So you're starting from results and diagnosing all the way down to beliefs or assumptions. And then you're applying conceptual thinking to think about how can I improve things by saying what assumptions or con- what assumptions or beliefs should I change it will cause me to change the systems that will cause us to have better behaviors that will create better results. So those were two big examples that we gave last time of how conceptual thinking is a powerful tool for leaders to bring about positive change in their organization. So you've used you've mentioned the word model or models a few times in the last few minutes of this podcast. What are some of the models that have been most helpful for you and and some of the leaders you work with? Yeah, a model is another example of a concept. Um, uh, oftentimes, it may include several concepts, but it's a it's a structured way of thinking or a philosophy that you think is going to help you to understand and respond to a particular situation. So, what we just talked about, Peter Senge in the Fifth Discipline, that's a model actually that's made up of these concepts. The concepts are around what are results, behaviors, systems, beliefs, and assumptions, and the model is how we join those together in order to do a better job of understanding and then responding to the circumstances we have. Another great example, at least for me, and you'll notice I'm always mentioning books because books have changed my life. Books, I think, are so powerful, and I there, I books are just is important for me to keep reading as food is for me to keep eating or oxygen is for me to keep breathing. So one book that I've probably read almost as much as any other book in the world is the book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's another model. He has, he has seven different concepts in this model that he talks about. The first three he refers to as private victories. So it's we have to win this thing called life ourself first as a private victory. And those three are being proactive. That's taking responsibility for yourself, 
taking responsibility for how you respond to stimulus. The second is begin with the end in mind. Have a vision of where you want to go. Have an idea of where you want to end up. And the third in the private victory section of habits is first things first. It's make sure that you organize and execute around your priorities. Benny has three concepts around public victories. In the book, he says, if you don't do the private victories, you're going to have a hard time winning the public victories. But the public victories are first think win-win or no deal. So the concept is think about mutual benefit in people that you interact with or just agree that you probably shouldn't work together if both sides aren't going to get something out of it. The next concept is seek first to understand, then to be understood. So it's the idea of pausing, of listening, of suspending judgment so that you deeply understand where that other person's coming from and then make sure that they have the opportunity to understand where you're coming from so that you have a deeper understanding of what each other's interests are. And then the third concept around the public victories is now let's synergize. Let's see if we can come up with third alternatives because we think win-win because we understand each other at a deeper level, maybe there's a third alternative that neither one of us could have created on our own that's going to get us something that we're both going to walk away saying we did even better than we expected. I had a, a, a meeting with a community leader this morning, and at the end of the meeting, he said, wow, this meeting turned out a lot better than I expected. Now, I was tempted to say, what do you think of me? Did you think I was going to give you a hard time? But no, what he meant was that we had found a way to synergize where we both got excited about something we hadn't thought about doing before we started that meeting. So these are the three concepts around public victory. And then in the book, he has one more concept, which I think is really about being able to sustain private and public victories over time. And he calls it sharpen the saw that either individually or as in a relationship, we need to regularly renew We need to keep sharpening our relationship or sharpening our own personal vision. We have to sharpen our private victories and our public victories regularly if we want to have sustainable victory over time. So that's another example of a model that we use a lot. And I don't, I use it in most of my executive coaching assignments, but I used it with my children when they were growing up. Our children are all adults now, all living other places. But we talked about that as a family. What were the applications? of those private victories and public victories as a family and what should we be doing as a family so that we continually were renewing ourselves and our relationships so uh, it's a great example i think of how concepts are joined together to create a model that can create a better life for a better result for us and there is a phrase that you love to say that is is so true and thought-provoking at the same time all models are (laughs) are wrong. (laughs) After all of this gushing about models, one of my favorite quotes by a statistician named George Box is, all models are wrong and some are useful. Absolutely. Good thing to remember. So this this sounds like a, a lot like another work that we hear bantered, a word that we hear bantered around, and that's paradigms. How do they relate to conceptual thinking? Yeah, these are connected. So paradigms, another concept. So a paradigm is a set of assumptions that we use in order to get a result that we want. And we use it for making decisions, this set of assumptions. We use this set of assumptions for how we take actions. We use a set of assumptions for how we relate to other people. So it's described as a paradigm because it's sort of a mental map that we're using 
that we think is going to be helpful for us. It's a certain kind of conceptual thinking. So here's a good example of a paradigm in the workplace. McDonald's has built their brand worldwide. Regardless of what you think about the nutritional value of their products, they have built their brand worldwide on the concept of predictability. That you can go to a McDonald's anywhere in the world and feel comfortable that you know what it is you're going to get. And they, not all fast food uh, restaurants have followed this concept, by the way, but McDonald's has followed this pretty closely. And they've built a lot of success around the idea that when people want to go someplace that's predictable, that's a place that they think about going. Most of these chain restaurants have done the same thing. You know, it could be Applebee's or it could be a TGIF. Most of them are built on this paradigm, this set of assumptions that people will be comfortable going to a restaurant that they know what they're walking into. So we're going to be consistent. And they make a lot of decisions based on maintaining that consistency no matter where people go. That's a, that's an example of a paradigm. But paradigms change. They change when a new set of problems comes up that this paradigm that I'm using, this set of assumptions I'm using doesn't solve that new problem. And sometimes they change because somebody wants to disrupt the old paradigm. They want to say, I want to create new value. I want to find a better way of delivering that value to a customer. So I'm not going to do it the way that I'm not, I'm not going to follow the same set of assumptions that others have followed. And one of the most amazing examples of this is in the music industry. When I was growing up, when I was a teenager and wanted to buy all those heartthrob songs, they were on 45 vinyls or 45 records. Or if you had enough money, you'd buy a 33 RPM record, which was a big one that had, it might have had five or six songs on each side. And then along came the internet. And when the internet came along, initially, nobody thought about delivering music over the internet. You still, you know, I will admit that music had moved from vinyls to eight tracks to uh, CDs. And CDs, I thought, how in the world did they do this on a CD? It seemed like it was miraculous technology to me. But then came the internet. And with the internet, then all of a sudden, there was a company named Napster. And Napster figured out a way for people to share their music with each other. So I might buy one of these CDs or I might buy one of these vinyls and I play it into the Internet and record it. And now I can give it to people. And I'm not just giving it to my friends. I might be giving it to people all around the world. And it was very disruptive to the recording industry. It was disruptive to uh, the musicians, the artists. It really pretty much tore a whole industry down. And it wasn't very long after Napster got going. By the way, they ran into a lot of legal problems because of violating copyright law. But then came Apple. And Apple said, well, we've got this iPod, this little rectangular thing, or it was, I guess, rectangular and later became a small square. And we can put a thousand songs on this thing and you're going to download them from the internet. Now you can take them with them with you anywhere you go and you don't even have to have an internet with you. Keep in mind, this was all before smartphones. And then they came along and eventually they developed the smartphone. And now you could have not just your recording, your library on your phone, but you could also have a camera and you can have all kinds of other things that they called apps. And then came Spotify and Pandora. And now they said, we're going to give you free music as as long as you'll let us advertise every now and then. So now you can go out and get free music, but we get to choose what you get and when you get it. And now Apple and 
uh, Amazon have come back and now they have these subscription services. Just look at all the paradigm changes that have taken place. And they're either to solve a problem or to exploit an opportunity. So that's an example of how paradigms come and go. And really, the, the most important thing that drives new paradigms is this idea of conceptual thinking, this idea of, wait a minute, why are we doing it the way we're doing it? What's working? What's not working? Really going through that pattern that we already talked about, results, behaviors, systems, and beliefs or assumptions. And then it's not, as as one of our great friends, Evans Bias says, it's never technology and then strategy. It's always strategy first and then technology. Well, the strategy is conceptual thinking. So was all conceptual thinking about changing a paradigm? Well, no. We still have to go back to the original definition that it's about understanding at an abstract level cause and effect, as well as the past and I guess you could say the present and the future realities. So paradigms are an important part of conceptual thinking, but there are there are components of conceptual thinking that live outside of paradigms. But I, I like to think about paradigms and changing paradigms as developing a new level of thinking. One of my favorite quotes about conceptual thinking comes from Albert Einstein. He said, we can't solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. So it's sort of a look in the mirror kind of a moment when you realize that a pretty high percentage of the problems that we encounter in life, we created by the way we were thinking, by the paradigms, the concepts that we were carrying. So I love this idea that if you want to do a good job of conceptual thinking, it's about learning how to think at a new level. It may be a paradigm set of assumptions, but that often comes after you've done this diagnosis where you get down and understand what those assumptions are first, and then you begin building new paradigms. So let's dive into some of the practical ways that we can grow our conceptual thinking skills. Well, here's the first thing is let's start looking to identify the assumptions that drive our systems or that drive our behaviors or our results. So uh, it's an obvious example of this, but you could look at traffic patterns. What streets are one way? What streets are two way? Why is that the case? What are the speed limits on streets? These are all based on different assumptions. You could build a whole list of assumptions around the way that traffic flows. Or you might build a list of assumptions about the way traffic lights function on on your way into work. Everywhere you go, you ask yourself, what are the underlying assumptions that have created this behavior, have created this system that I'm a part of? And then another way would be to study and ponder different kinds of strategies. Strategies are all around us. Look at the politicians and what their strategies are. When you're in the election cycle, is their strategy to promote their idea or is their strategy to attack the opponent? Is their strategy to align with a national party or is their strategy to appear independent? Look at those strategies. And again, you're looking for what is the concept underneath it that's driving the strategy, that's driving the way that they're going about it. Or it could be the managers, the leaders in your organization. And you 
could be up the organization, people that are above you in the organization, or it could be down the organization. It could even be your peers, but ask yourself, what is the ideology? What are the concepts that are driving the way that we approach the business? What are the concepts about how we view our employees? Or what are the concepts about how we view our customers? Or what are the concepts about how we view our competitors? Those are all assumptions as you begin to recognize and identify them. And I'm, I'm even suggesting that you write down on paper what assumptions you're able to identify. Because writing it on paper helps to develop conceptual thinking more and more and more. And as you practice this over time, it starts to become more automatic. And you're thinking at a deeper conceptual level without even trying if you practice it long enough. Another thing to do that's going to help you develop your conceptual thinking skills is start identifying problems or opportunities. Evans and I talk about this a lot in the book we wrote, The Innovator's Advantage. We say all innovation begins with the identification of problem opportunities. So it's something that's not working the way you want to, or it's an opportunity of something that could be much better than what it is right now. So how many problem opportunities can you identify? Without trying to solve them right away, without trying to critique them, just to see what quantity of problems and opportunities you could identify, that is creating the foundation for you to do good conceptual thinking. And of course, then you're looking at which of these problems are not being solved at all, or the solution is miserable. It's far below what we would like it to be. And now you start going through the systems thinking that we've talked about. So what kind of assumptions should we have in order to solve this problem or leverage this opportunity? And what systems would we need to build based on those assumptions in order to generate the behaviors that we want that are going to create the results we're looking for? So that's a, another great way. An, another one I think of, and I, I can tell already that what we're going to have to do is encourage our listeners to listen again and take notes because I'm going through quite a few of these. But look for and ask about mental models that are behind decision making in the workplace with your customers, with your suppliers. Ask them, what are the concepts? What are the assumptions? Get them thinking that way. And when there's a funny thing that when two minds start thinking the same way, you become more creative because you've added more brain power to it. So get other people having this conversation as well. And of course, as is true with a lot of the skills that we're talking about in The Complete Leader, a lot of these are very interconnected with each other. So when you work on your futuristic thinking skills, you're also building your conceptual thinking skills or vice versa. When you work on becoming more creative or when you think about how to be a stronger problem solver, all of these are adding layers and nuance to your conceptual thinking skills as well. So they work in a synergistic way and they, they help us to overcome problems, to get rid of bottlenecks. They help us to come up with new solutions, new ideas, because we're, we're thinking at an abstract level about why things happen the way they do and what might we do differently to generate different results. So share some of the benefits of this. So as you work with leaders, you go into an organization and you, you lead through, lead people through this process of conceptual thinking and building the skills. What's the outcome? Well, the biggest thing I think is that it helps us to deal with a more and more complex world. Um, things are moving faster, more, there, there are much more complexities, interconnectedness, all those things. And good conceptual thinking helps us to take all of this complexity and get it to some 
simpler understandings of what are the key factors that we should be thinking about and taking action on. I love a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. He said, I wouldn't give a plug nickel for simplicity on the near side of complexity, but I'd give my right arm for simplicity on the far side of complexity. And he's really talking about the benefit of conceptual thinking. Conceptual thinking, you work through all this complexity, you look for the why, you look at an abstract level to understand cause and effect, and on the other side of it, you have insights where you come up with solutions that you would never get to without developing this conceptual thinking skill. So the result of that, you more accurately forecast long-range outcomes, You identify potential impacts from varying strategies or ideas of what you might do. You identify both your intended and unintended consequences. And you identify more options, more ways that you can get there. So you begin to realize that there's not just one right solution, that there's several solutions that offer something. And you can organize those according to which one you think is going to have the most positive, positive impact. All of those things are benefits. They're the fruit of good conceptual thinking. So let's wrap it up. We've spent now two episodes talking about conceptual thinking. And uh, tell us what's the one thing you want us to take away, put into action to really grow this skill as a leader. Well, first of all, if you remember that conceptual thinking is about being able to think about something at an abstract level. So you're trying to get away from being in the weeds and you're trying to see patterns or you're trying to understand the underlying why, the cause and effect And with any skill, you get better by practicing it. So the more that you practice this, the better you're going to get. So think about, write down what you're observing around concepts or models or assumptions that are creating the current results that you're looking at. And then when you think about how you might change these assumptions to create a better result, you're going to be developing your conceptual thinking skills. Fantastic. And with that, I would ask folks to go and rate and review this podcast. If you'll go to iTunes and uh, look up The Complete Leader, you'll see an opportunity. Hopefully, we have earned those five stars from you. Write a quick review about how you put this into action in your daily life to grow your leadership skills. If you haven't done so already, be sure to check out the website, thecompleteleader.org. All one word, thecompleteleader.org. If you'd like to learn more about Ron Price, his team, and what they can do for your business, it's price-associates.com. Work on your conceptual thinking skills. Uh, If you need to, it'd be a great opportunity to go back and re-listen to these podcasts when you have a moment to take some notes, and then you can read more about this. It's section 1.2 in the book, The Complete Leader. This is The Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to The Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org. 